Christmas season. I hope that it is a great one for you out there. My name is Easy Weave, and this is Easy Does It on Dogs by Nature, the midweek, end of week version, the non-post game version. It's basically two times you're going to hear this program. The first is after uh, a game of ours. When I say ours, I mean our beloved orange helmets of the Cleveland Browns. And I always do one as soon after the game as I possibly can, and then one uh, after, you know, at, at a different point in the week, really for uh, the purposes. Uh, you know, I think that there's a difference in your perspective immediately following a game, and I try to stay as even keel as possible. But you know, with some uh, a couple of days. Uh, passing it it's it's always good to just kind of review things uh, with perspective certainly appreciate you being there uh before i get going and so i'm gonna get sidetracked before i'm gonna get sidetracked uh, i'd like to just encourage you if you would to listen to the other programs that we have uh, on the the new platform for uh, dogs by nature you know it's a new fandangled thing that we're doing with the the programs that are on the old network we got Gin and Tonic with The Long Table, my man BTB and Darth Batman with Absolute 10 and 6. We've got Josh Finney, John Colosimo, and Mike Krupka with This Believe Land is Your Land, and my good friend Thelonious7 with Straight No Chaser. And all of those programs are available. I hope not forget anybody out there. I'm pretty sure that's our the roster of our lineup. And, and if I if I am, well then hey, you know, you know how to reach out to me but you know check out those programs listen to them and reach out to the host they really appreciate it when you do uh it's it's very you know i i, I love doing this and and you know, have a have a fun time enjoy talking with you about it and they do as well but uh it really it really makes the sauce sweet whenever you guys are uh commiserating with us and letting us know hey even if you're letting us know that you don't like it i get you know and i actually enjoy that when people tell me that that uh they, they don't really appreciate what i'm doing although usually the correspondence that i the correspondences that i get on this are uh, are, are positive and i certainly appreciate that and i also um appreciate our friends out in denver did a radio interview with them this week they were very um interested in the perspective of we browns people you know we're kind of like in in the rest of the sports world we're kind of like the uh we're like a science project you know what i mean in the sense that people are looking at like man i wonder what browns fans are thinking about all of this uh because you know they've just been so terrible for so long they don't say this right but this is the the kind of the attitude they've been so terrible for so long that i just wonder how they are they are coping with or they are they are dealing with the fact that they're they, they actually have a quarterback and they could actually be good now 
And so, and and with with the bottom line of that being that uh, they were they they thought it was really cool, and they were they were digging it that uh, there was a guy like me that was actually really really excited about this team, and I am really really excited about this team. I'm not trying to say that. Um, by the way, it's David Hurlbut. He was the uh, host that for the uh, Denver Morning Show out there. Good guy, very friendly. Really appreciated the uh, the time to talk about it. Uh, but I am really high on this team, and at, with a couple of days to reflect upon it, you know what we've seen out of Baker Mayfield, the hot shot rookie quarterback, franchise quarterback of your beloved Cleveland Browns and mine. What we've seen out of him, this is not an exaggeration, the best quarterback play that we have seen in 40 years. Now, I realize that that is, you know, kind of sounds disparaging to one uh, Bernie Kosar. I think Bernie would even agree with this. That we haven't, because the last time that we had a Browns player uh, play at an MVP level was Brian Sipe in the late 70s. Now, I can hear you saying Baker's not playing at an MVP level. If you look at his season stats, yeah, okay, fine. I'm not going to uh, argue with that, but just look at the last, like, three or four games. Really, look at, uh, you, you got to kind of break the season up into. Uh, uh, thirds when it comes to Baker Mayfield. You've got the first part of the year where he didn't have any involvement at all with the starting offense. Got no reps at all with the first team. And that then went into the third game of the year against the Jets when he came into the game and probably maybe the Raiders game where it was kind of like he was um, – you know, not part of the offense, and then broke onto the scene. And at the very beginning of the year, he was awesome. You remember he came in against the Jets, and he was great right from the very beginning. No first-team reps, and the guy was sharp as a tack. Then you see about a four- or five-game stretch. We play, uh, who was it? The, the Chargers are in there. We played the uh, the Bucks. We played the... Um, the Steelers or somebody else that I'm missing in there, where Baker really looked like he was, you know, uh, regressing or hitting the rookie wall, which, you know, kind of led people to believe, oh, you know, he came out really, which, you know, you see that from time to time, a, a rookie player come out, a quarterback come out, maybe not even a rookie, just a quarterback coming out the first time that a defense has seen him or a first time the NFL defenses have seen him and he does well, and then he kind of comes down to earth within the next couple of games. And it looked like maybe that was going on with Baker. Um, but there was something about this, and I'm not saying this to be like, you know, I told you so, I told you so. I just, at the time that it's going on, my attitude about it, because I've been a, a, you know, devout, you know, bigger believer, uh, going all the way back to, you know, even further than this time last year, I was basically all up on the Baker train, and as I'm watching what was going on during that period, I'm like, there's something wrong, there's something that's just not right about all of this, it's like the guy has... Uh, it's it's like he's got a weight tied to him that's that's weighing him down, and as it turned out, that weight was Hugh Jackson. So you get into the third uh, triumvirate, uh, or I guess, of the year, where that is kind of the Falcons game up till now, and from the Falcons game up till now, and I'm even throwing in the Texans game. We're talking about elite quarterback play over that period of time, and the Texans game, yeah, all right, you know, three interceptions is not elite. Uh, but, you know, every I've said this before, every quarterback in the Hall of Fame had a three-interception game at one point in his career. A guy having it in one half, and then coming out. I mean, that's the thing. It's one thing, and you've seen this, I've seen this. 
where a quarterback will go out and have a bad half, make some bad throws, and then you just see the guy kind of clam up. You see the guy go into a shell. Baker came out in that second half against the Texans just, I mean, just attacking, 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 attacking. Ultimately, ended up falling short, but then he comes out last week against the Panthers, attacking, attacking, attacking. That first pass to Brashard Perriman, which should have been a touchdown, was the longest pass traveled in the air all year. In fact, uh, Pro Football Focus put Baker's performance this last Sunday at better than any other quarterback in the National Football League. And some people are, you know, they look at that and they scratch their heads. Well, okay, he's 18 and 22 for uh, 220 some yards and a touchdown. That doesn't really seem like a a dominant performance worthy to be put in the upper echelon of quarterback play in the NFL. Sure, but this is why. And again, this is this is now officially this is dogmatic. This is easy rule. This is right up there with you have to wait three years before you can evaluate a drafted player or a draft class. The rule, the law of the land is when it comes to quarterback evaluation, it's about the tape. I don't care about stats. I don't. I don't. I mean, they're, they're fine as far as illustrating certain points that you make based on what you see on the tape, but I think it's true in the NFL as it is in college. Every one of those quarterbacks that came out last year, I have a definitive opinion about all of them that I'm unwavering on right now because of the tape that they put up. And I don't really even know, in most cases, what their college stats were or what their NFL stats are this year. To some extent, I do. I mean, I pay attention. But I'm saying stats are not the metric that really is important. They're important in terms of looking at the end of the year success and saying, wow, look at what this guy did. But in terms of being able to gauge performance, particularly over a short period of time, stats are helpful, but they're not the end-all deal. You have to watch the tape. And in watching the tape of that game last week against the Panthers, while Mayfield's stats may not have been world-beating when you just look at them in the in the kind of the traditional sense, the guy came out the gate and was attacking their defense at the highest level that you can do it. In other words, he was not settling for anything even mid-range. The guy was going deep all the time, and he was nailing it deep all the time. He had four incompletions. Three of them were dropped, and one of them was a deliberate throwaway, which kind of maybe could have come down as a catch. He does that. A lot of his throwaways are plenty enough out of bounds so that way they can't go to the defender, but he always leaves his receiver the opportunity to come back and make the catch if he's willing to lay out. Uh, All that to say, in a game where you've got four incompletions, three of them were drops, and one of them was was an intentional throwaway, that means he didn't miss. That means that none of the passes he intended to throw to receivers were off target at all. It also means that even though you have the three drops, our receivers actually have gotten a lot better at catching the ball. It's funny how that happens. You notice how the, oh, this this stat, this stat is just mind-blowing. That's, okay, you may know that since we have um, taken over, since Freddie Kitchens took over the offense, Greg Williams took over the defense, Hugh Jackson was, was summarily dispatched, that this last week we'd only given up like like uh, it was like four games or three straight games where we hadn't given up a sack, and then we gave up one uh, last week. So that's one sack in three games. We've given up over that period of time, I think, a grand total of three quarterback knockdowns, and the next closest team is like 22, 23. <laughs> it's insane. I mean, the way – and it, it doesn't have to do – I mean, I think that the offensive line, the way that it's composed, the interior of the offensive line is is uh, good to very good. I think J.C. Treader at center and Joel Batonio and Kevin Zeitler um, with, with – uh, 
Austin Corbett being able to uh, fill in for quality depth whenever needed, we're, we're fine as far as the interior is concerned. There certainly has been question marks at the tackle position, and when Desmond Harrison was in the game, and when Hugh Jackson was coaching with Desmond Harrison in the game, particularly towards the end there, our tackles were getting, I mean, they were just getting wiped out. Enter in Freddie Kitchens, and it's like a totally different unit. The line, and it's amazing, <coughs> You know, there were people out there that predicted that that might happen. But the offensive line isn't the only unit. If you look, how about the receiving core? The receiving core under Hugh Jackson was dropping everything. And this isn't i I'm not going to spend time just railing against Hugh. I'm just saying the whole difference in the team is night and day. It's one of the reasons why I'm very, very high on Freddie Kitchens. I'm not quite as high on, on uh, Greg Williams, uh, and I have my reasons for that. But look, at right now we're at a point. Got a really big game coming up here against the Denver Broncos on Saturday night. And I'm not I'm not among these, and I, and I know this, you're not going to like hearing this, but certainly I, I'm not one of these people that is very enthusiastic about the notion of our making the playoffs this year. I, I, I'm not – look, it's fun. It's very fun to, to consider. And I do love that so many of, uh, of our comrades are, are, are excited about it. I mean, just the fact that, you know, here we are going into week 14 and we legitimately do – legitimately – we do have a chance, quote unquote, to get in there. I don't, I don't think, first of all, that we're going to win the next three games. I think that we're probably going to lose on Saturday to Denver, but it's still a big game. Uh, whether or not we end up making the playoffs or not, this game coming up in Denver is a big game. In the first place, I've never, I've, we haven't beaten the Broncos in my entire life. I, to, I started watching the team in 1991, and the last time they beat them was in 1990. So I've never actually seen us beat the Donkeys, which isn't a, a reason that's a big game uh, in and of itself, but... You know, Denver is a team with playoff aspirations. They're playing at home. And of course, they've got the the traditional home field advantage there, the legendary home field advantage there. And they are a good team. Are they as good a team as they were when Peyton was running the show? No, but they're they're a good team. But that defense with uh, that's you know, I mentioned the uh, the tackles, Greg Robinson and uh, Chris Hubbard for us, who have performed just way way better the last couple of weeks. They're going to have the biggest test of the year going up against Von. Miller and the rookie Bradley Chubb, who was a guy that, you know, we may have taken a hard look at, but instead we opted for Denzel Ward, who unfortunately isn't going to be playing in this game. But this game is very important. This game, and it's it's a game that I am, uh, you know, our, our, our buddy Big Tom Brown has indicated that it is a playoff game in the sense that, he's called it a mini playoff game, in the sense that if we win, we keep our chances alive and would knock the Denver the Broncos out, and if the Broncos win, they keep their hopes alive and knock us out. So yeah, okay, from that standpoint, it is a playoff game. Both teams kind of have that to play for but to me it's 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 even bigger than that and when i um when i, when I return i'll i'll get into that uh, a little bit further my name is easy weave this is easy does it on dogs by nature uh hook me look look me up yeah i don't it could hook me up i guess i don't know with what but on the twitter at easy weave or the facebook uh easy weave and uh, I'm pretty much available and easy to find and all those things. And I just, you know, I love people, so uh, connect with me. And I will continue connecting with you here in just a moment. My name is Rio and she dances on the sand. Just like that Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that for some reason or another, seems smart at the time. 
those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. It's the most. Yeah, I know. I know it's disjointed. I, I totally, I know that my entire thought process and the way that I do this is disjointed and it's all over the place and it goes in all these directions and that I never can follow a format and that, <laughs> that, that I'm all, that my mind goes in all these directions. It's, it's just, it's just how I be. And I, I, I would tell you that I would try to be better at it, but I'd be lying because not that I wouldn't try, but it's just, it's who I am. I have a theory about this that. When it, particularly for people that do kind of this, uh, any kind of performing arts in particular, but I think it's actually true in most things in life. You know, they are who they are, and you're not going to change who they are. So you use their talents uh, to the best of their ability where they are. If you try to change them, you're not going to be successful. You're going to end up being disappointed, and at best, you're going to end up with a watered-down version of whatever it is that you want. But worse than that, you're going to end up with a mocked version of who that person really is. And who that person really is is the special sauce, is the thing that makes the broadcast or the, the, the work performance or whatever it is unique and important. So... All that to say, I, I can't change my style, and uh, even if I did, it, it probably wouldn't wouldn't be all that effective. So anyway, <laughs> you got just gotta <clears throat> just bear with me. This game coming up on Saturday night against the Broncos is really big for me because as I look at this at this organization, I, I you know can't say enough about the job Baker Mayfield has done. Can't say enough about how personally invested I am in the young man and then after him the same can be said about Miles Garrett who like I was saying on Sunday I feel like we we kind of give that guy short shrifts because of the amazing season that he's had because it's in the the glow of what Baker is doing and yeah the quarterback position is way 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 more important than edge or anything else but still what Miles has done has been phenomenal and I I I, I love him I love those two guys I I love Baker and I love Miles. And so I see this team with those two kind of being the the spiritual and also the the clubhouse leaders for the entire kind of setting the tone for both the offense and the defense res- respectively, both with their unique and disparate leadership styles and also the fact that they are incredibly talented at what they do. So when I look at the rest of the, this organization, when I see uh, the, the running back position, I love Nick Chubb, and I, I got nothing but love for Duke Johnson. I'm, I'm good there. Can we use bodies to upgrade at all of these position groups? Sure. But just going into it, the wide receiver uh, core, yeah, I'm good with adding a couple of guys, but you know, the, the players have performed a lot better the last couple of weeks. How about the big game by Jarvo on Sunday? Tight end, David Njoku, set the valve, Darren Fells. I, I'm not really worried about upgrading that unit. Offensive line, yeah, yeah, okay, we could, we could maybe take a run at getting some upgraded tackles, but honestly, the way that Robinson and Hubbard have been playing, you know, somebody brought up a good point. Joe Thomas really kind of spoiled us for 12 years or 13 years, however long it was he played. 
because we just kind of come to expect as our standard elite, not just elite, best of all time, greatest of all time left tackle play. And guys, that those days are over. What, we're, what we've gotten out of Greg Robinson the last month or so has been pretty good offensive line play, offensive tackle play at the NFL level. I don't know that we really can expect a whole lot better than that. I'm not saying not to do it, but unless we are just in a position and some guy falls in our lap, I'm not really looking at tackle as a major thing that we have to issue. Because one of the things about the the quarterback position, if you get a guy that can get out, get the ball out quickly, guess what? Your offensive line looks a lot better. And Baker has shown, you know, one of the advantages of having a strong interior and and a weaker outside presence is that it allows him to step up and he has the, the pocket to be able to do that. And I saw that happen probably a half dozen times on Sunday. So all that to say that the offensive line, while we can, you know, we, we can we can nitpick and we can look at this here or there and say that it could be better in this area or that area, particularly at the tackle spot, honestly, the way that the guys have been doing it, hat tip to Freddie Kitchens, the way that he schemed everything, I, I look at, I, I wish Tim Couch would have had this offensive line. Because this offensive line, while it could be improved upon, pretty good overall. And to my mind, the offensive line after the quarterback is as important or or really close to being just as important as the next important position, which is the edge position, the pass rush. You know, the ability to pass the ball, protect the passer, and get pressure on the passer are the most important things in football as far as I'm concerned. And when you look at what we're sporting on defense, I know people are disappointed in Emmanuel Ogba, and I, you know, I maybe could count me among those. I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more out of him. But on balance, we are able to get pressure even if Miles is the only one that's able to consistently get home. And could we use another three-tech to go along with Larry Joby? Yeah, okay, but I'm not, you know, I don't look at Trevon Coley as a, as a huge liability or any of the other guys that, you, you know, you throw in that in that position. Uh, linebackers, again, we could use some depth, but the starting unit of Collins, Schobert, and Kirksey, when Kirksey gets healthy and comes back next year, and with Avery, you know, pulling up the rear you know, in depth and, and going to have more of a prominent role in the future, it's not a scary position. Get into the secondary? Okay, yeah, you could use some bodies there. Uh, and although Terrence Mitchell played pretty well um, in his return, although as, again, as could have been predicted, uh, I think there maybe his performance up to the up to that point could have been a little bit inflated. But in terms of people's... Um, you know, recollection. I think they, they, they remember him playing better than he actually did. But I'm saying, as a, a a guy that can come in and play the other cornerback position opposite Denzel Ward, you know, I'm 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 good with it. And he signed for a couple of years still, so you know, we're if, if that's what we're rolling out there next year with our with our two cornerbacks and with uh, Carey and and Gaines who are all signed. Although I'm not sure about Gaines if he's uh, signed through next year. Point is, while we could use some upgrades, it's not like it's the it's not nearly as weak as it's been for us in the past. Uh, at the safety level, yeah, we, we we certainly need to do something there to add some depth behind Demarius Randall, who has had I think a, a Pro Bowl type season, and hopefully we see some. Um, improvements in the progression of the career of Jabril Peppers. So, all that to say, I just went through the entire roster minus the uh, special teams, and, you know, Hewlett and Colquitt are, you know, they're fine. Kicker, you know, Joseph, I guess, is as good as the next guy. Uh, so, all, so as I look at this roster, I see a team that is we're we're not far away. We're not far away from having, a, especially with the way that Baker is playing, what the real missing element here is, 
is the coach. And I know that a lot of people have been excited about the way that Greg Williams has kind of turned around the organization from a coaching standpoint since Hugh Jackson was uh, was removed from the equation. And I think that it's probably wise for us to remember two things. The first is that Greg Williams has a track record as a head coach. I think his record in Buffalo was 17-31. and 31. So it's not like he didn't have a full opportunity. I mean, he had full three full years and didn't do very well. Um, that's uh, that's one thing. Now, you could certainly grow from the experience. I'm not trying to say that that can't happen. But then you look at you know where he is now, and yeah, Greg has looked like a steady presence amidst a turbulent circumstance, but. Guys, how how well do you really have to perform to look mu- not only better but much better than the worst coaching performance in the history of football? I mean, how much how much improvement do you really need to show? Now, I think Freddie Kitchens is a different story. I think what we've seen, the improvements that we've seen from the offense, really truly have been uh, really remarkable. Now. I have said previously that, you know, that maybe we ought to look at Kitcho as a possible head coaching candidate. And I'm not going there. That's not where I'm going with this. And I'm not even throwing cold water on Greg. This is where I'm getting. See, I am pulling it all the way back around to the original point of this, which was this game this week against Denver. If Greg Williams is able to go out there and his team has a solid scheme on offense and defense to take on this good but beatable Broncos team, if we're able to beat the Panthers the way that that game went, then the Broncos are a team that we can beat. In other words, talent is not a problem for us in in being able to stand up to teams like the Denver Broncos. There may be teams in the NFL that have a talent disparity that puts them at an obvious advantage over us. I don't necessarily think the Houston Texans, for example, are like that. And this is kind of my point. I think the reason that we were beaten as soundly as we were in that one had to do with the coaching. And that's where I'm getting at with this. If Greg Williams goes into the Denver game, and the team looks like it has for most of the time that he has been at the helm. So really, the you know the Atlanta game and the you know the, the, the lot of parts of the Carolina game, certainly the Cincinnati game. You know, if if he goes out there and that team shows up and we are able to you know move the ball and stop them and build a lead and hold it and win the game. Then that's going. First of all, that's going to augur very well for our chances the following week, going up against the uh, Hugh Jackson-inspired Cincinnati Bengals and uh, their new star quarterback Norm Van Brocklin Jr. And if that's the case, if we go into Denver and beat them, you know, soundly and resoundingly, like we've got, like we've gotten wins against the, you know, the Falcons and the Bengals, and uh, to a lesser extent against the Panthers. Although well, we lined up in form- the victory formation at the end of that thing, um, and I'm not saying that we have to go out there and just really whip the donkeys. You know, if we go out there and beat Denver, in and it's not in a fluky type situation, but it's a, you know, our our guys beat their guys, our coaches beat their coaches. That's going to go a long way with me now. Keep in mind, I'm saying this as if I've got some sort of vote in this process, and I don't. You know, Jimmy Haslam has proven over and over again that he doesn't care what I have to say about any of this. Unless you want to credit me for him uh, keeping Hugh for a third year, and that's not something that I'm really willing to. That's 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 not that is not a trophy I have on the old mantle. That's not something that I'm <laughs> that I'm that I'm going for. Uh, I'm just saying that. 
if we, you know, if, if I were running the show, if I were emperor of the world, then we would have never have gotten rid of Sashi Brown. And that's not a knock on John Dorsey, who I think has uh, actually done a, a pretty great job since he's taken over. Point is that, what, you know, me talking about this, I, re- I fully recognize that it doesn't matter what I think about any of this. But at the same time, you know, I, I, I am as invested in this team as any human being in the world. So emotionally, certainly I didn't invest the literal billion dollars that Jimmy Haslam did into it. But, um, you know, to th- wh- whatever it is in my life that is worth a billion dollars, you know, commensurate or, or uh, proportionally, uh, I have invested that and will for the rest of my life into this team. So I care about what happens to them. And all I'm saying is that for me to be comfortable uh, with Greg Williams continuing on as our head coach, I'm going to need to see a, a performance against Denver that is that is quality of that. And, and, and here's the reason why. As I look at the roster that we have put together, when I look at $85 million in cap space going into this offseason, and when I see the young talent that's only going to get better, there's a lot of guys that are on this roster that, okay, I can't say they're only going to get better. Sure, there are going to be guys that look good right now that are going to end up you know, going in the, in the other direction. It happens. But there's a lot of young players on this team that are going to end up uh, you know, continuing to grow and continuing to get better. And this is a good-looking roster. And with the quarterback play that we're getting from Mayfield and with the edge play that we're getting from Garrett, I'm here to tell you right now, we can play with anyone. As should be pretty obvious by now, the real from the night and day performance of the team, from Hugh Jackson to Greg Williams, is that the real mitigating factor here is our the, the coaches and the, the overall ability and, you know, mental dexterity and uh, capability of the coaches to scheme a game for these players to go out and perform. And having a guy that can go out there and, and change the culture around and do what he's done to this point is nice. But if we're going to get to where we – all right, let me put it this way. Let's say that the what I consider to be the impossible happens. We win out, Pittsburgh loses out, we win the division, and we're hosting a playoff game. So I'm not even going the route of the the other impossible route that every team that we need to lose is going to lose, and we're going to be able to get into the wild card. Uh, to me, that's even more far-fetched than the first scenario, which is we us winning out and Pittsburgh losing out. If that were to happen, all right, let's say that we we get the fourth seed at that point. We would host a playoff game. That means we are going to play as the fourth seed. If you don't know this, the hierarchy of seeding goes. Uh, the, the, the higher seed that you have, you play the lower seeds that advance. So if, we're, if we are on wild card weekend, the third seed hosts the sixth seed, and the fourth seed hosts the fifth seed, meaning that we get the better in this scenario because we are the lower of the the playoff the division winners in this incredibly you know wild scenario that isn't going to happen in that in that case, the team that has the better that is a division winner or yeah division winner that has a better record in this case probably the Houston Texans would be the the third seed and they would play whoever the last team is to get into the playoffs. So you're probably talking at this point that it would be probably at this point I'd put my I, I would put it uh, on the Colts. They they look to me like like they make the most sense. To, uh, to go all the way. And, and they look like they would they, they, they are a, a playoff caliber team. So they would probably end up being the sixth 
seed, meaning we would play the fifth seed, and guess what? That's going to end up being probably, at the time that I am recording this, uh, there's a game happening tonight between the San Diego Chargers and the Kansas City Chefs, and the, not the San Diego Chargers, it's the Los Angeles Chargers, I keep messing that up. They are, they're playing tonight for a game that's probably going to determine the AFC champion, because, well, at least I should say the number one seed, because the Chargers have been, I mean, they've been great all year, and the, the the Chefs have been great all year. One of the only, the Chargers only have three losses, one of them was to Kansas City, and of course, Kansas City, their only losses came that one uh, free game against the Broncos, and then one that uh, they lost in that, uh, that, uh, mer- that um, what do you call it, the the uh, the basketball game they had against the uh, the Ams, so that was like fifty four to fifty one or whatever it was. So uh, those are two teams that are really good, and guess what? Those are two teams that both have already come into Cleveland this year and beaten us soundly. So, but let's say that it happens, okay? Let's say that we get into that that playoff scenario. I don't think that this year, and I definitely don't think that moving into the future, when we would be division champions, possibly, potentially, that we have the sort of coaching chops to be able to match up against a guy like Andy Reid, you know, or, or you know, uh, the, the Chargers. The point is, is that um, when you're going up against these guys that get into the playoffs, as far as the coaching staffs are concerned, they're really, really good. And if you're going to beat those guys, it's not just about the players that you have on the field. Yeah, it is. Certainly, you got to have guys that have baseline, borderline talent. But you also have to have a coach that can, you know, can dissect their game plan and beat other teams. You look at the Eagles run last year, and I hate the Eagles. I mean, I have no problem with that. <laughs> I can't stand the Eagles. But I got to give them their due. They last year, not just in the Super Bowl, but the Super Bowl was the main event. Uh, but their their coaching between Doug Peterson and Frank Reich and John DeFilippo, I mean, they were masterful last year in the playoffs with Nick Foles having to come in for Carson Wentz. They, were, I mean, they not just against, like I say, the the uh, Patriots in the Super Bowl, but how about the Vikings in the NFC Championship game? The Vikings came out and punched them in the mouth, scored a touchdown on the opening drive. Uh, then you saw a, you know, there was an interception return that basically really turned the momentum around. But the entire rest of that game, you saw the Eagles just scheme the Vikings out of their shorts, and that's a good Vikings defense. It was even better last year. All to say that even with a backup quarterback, a really good coach, and even a really good coach like Doug Peterson, you look this year without Frank Reich and without um, John DeFilippo, wasn't able to get, and he may get flipped back because he just got fired by the Vikings. Uh, they're not having anywhere near the same season in Philadelphia as they had last year. And I think, and, and what's the difference? They have, I mean, is there anybody on that, that Philadelphia team that they've missed this year? I mean, Wentz has been the quarterback basically all year, missed the first couple of games of the year. But they've been in it up until recently, and they've lost games recently that if they win those games, you know, last year they looked un, you know, they looked unbeatable the whole year. This year it's a lot different. And you know what? That's kind of the point. We just beat a team. We beat the Carolina Panthers. You kids remember, what, two years ago? Three years ago, they went 15-1, and won, that team. They looked unbeatable for the rest of time. You know, and, and this is the thing that happens is you get teams that go on these huge runs, uh, and it may last from year to year to year. That's why a team like the Patriots are really quite 
amazing and Steelers, but it's, they're not on the same level. Uh, a team like the Patriots that can just keep it going year in, year out, year in, year out, and legitimately have a chance to win a championship every single year. Look at the Atlanta Falcons. And look at the year that they're having. Two years ago, that team was a bad uh, Kyle Shanahan performance away from winning the Super Bowl. How far away from the Super Bowl do they look right now? And who did they lose over that period of time? It's really, really difficult to win a championship. You basically need to do everything right and then have a couple of lucky breaks. I'm going to make a prediction right now. As good as I think that Pat Mahomey is and the the future for Kansas City as bright as it is, I'm willing to bet right now that the Chiefs next year don't have anywhere near the season they're having this year. In terms of the uh, all year long they've been at the, the head of the division, they've been kind of the presumed, assumed, uh, you, you know, first seed in the conference. There, a lot of people have already put them in the Super Bowl, and honestly, that could all get derailed if they if they lose to the Chargers tonight. But I'm saying that next year, it's not going to all fall for them like it is. And I'm not saying that that means that Pat Mahomey is going to end up having a bad year. I'm just saying that you don't get all this stuff to fall your way every single year. It's really, really rare. And especially in the salary cap era, you just don't see teams that are out there like the Colts of the of the aughts. They were another one that were they were remarkably consistent in their ability to get there, to get to the cusp of it every single year. But how many titles did they ultimately end up winning? One. And that's that may be the only chance you ever get. And so the coaching is very important in that arena. And if we if we have a team that is legitimately good enough, talent and talented enough, and in a few years experienced enough to actually kick that door down and actually be on the precipice of winning an actual championship, well then I don't need a guy in there that is a detriment simply because he was way better than the putts that we just fired uh, you know a month and a half ago. I want to get the best guy we possibly can. Now that's easy to say. I cuz I don't I, I'm cuz I'm not sitting here telling you that I know who that guy is. My first choice right now would be Bruce Arians. Because I think with Bruce Arians you could bring him in and then you don't uh, ruin this thing that we got going on here with uh, Baker and Freddie Kitchens, which I have a theory about this as as I'm sure you can imagine. I think that one of the reasons why this has been working as well as it has, I think that we may have just kind of really lucked into a very symbiotic relationship between Baker and Kitcho in the sense that Baker is from Texas, Kitchens is from Alabama, and they got this kind of connection. I like to call it uh, the neck connection or the connect shun if you will and it's not a not a slam on either one of them i say that affectionately i live down in the south so it's not it, it, i i say that with with full affection but i but i think that there really is something to the fact that you know freddie played uh you know quarterback in the sec and he's got i think that he just connects with baker in a way that they they, they are able to short there, there's a trust there and they're able to shorthand a lot of things that i think in with with haley running the show there's things were just overly complicated and they're not now. That's really the, you know, <clears throat> our friend, I mentioned him before, Big Tom Brown has been saying forever that there's now this new playbook with Freddie Kitchens. Now, <laughs> he's adorably wrong, but the reason that he thinks that is because what has really happened here is that Kitcho has taken aspects of the playbook that was already in place, and he started focusing on, laser-like focusing on perfecting 
key elements of things that we did. Whereas with the Haley Hugh approach, we wanted to be able to do everything all the time, and that meant that we really couldn't do anything well. And we saw that, you know, as the season progressed. Well, now we do a couple of things, but we do those things really, really, really well. And so that's that's something that, you know, I put up that number before about the, the, the total lack of any pressure being gotten on our rookie quarterback. My friends, that is a direct result of the work being done by Freddie Kitchens. And while it may be the case that he's not ready to be the head coach of this team, I, I don't know that that's the case. I, I would be willing to take a shot on him. And, and I realize that kind of runs counter to what I've been saying about you know, a guy that can go in there against a Belichick or against a, uh, a Reed or somebody like that and win in a playoff setting. You know, I don't know that that's the case with Kitchens. I'm willing to roll the dice only because I, I, I think that that relationship with uh, Baker is really important. But, you know, that could be fraught with peril as well. I live, you know, two blocks away from Raymond James Stadium, and they have a quarterback over there who I think is tremendous. And I think uh, it'd be really great if uh, Jameis and the gang could go down there and beat up the Ravens this weekend, um, just because I'd like the Ravens to lose in any circumstance, playoff uh, or, or not. But they, if you remember, famous Jameis had a pretty solid rookie season. I don't think that he ever performed at the level that Baker has performed over the last month or so, but he had a really good rookie year, and there was a I think they finished 6-10, and 10, and it was a, a kind of concerted effort by the organization. Okay, we got our guy. We definitely got our guy. But we also, because of this, we see a circumstance where maybe we're going to lose the guy that he connects with the most, and that's Dirk Cutter, who was the offensive coordinator at that point. The head coach was Lovey Smith, and the Bucks pulled the interesting move of firing Lovey Smith and elevating Dirk Cutter because of the connection that Dirk Cutter had in the development of Jameis Winston. Well, now here we are four years down the road, and it looks like Jameis um, hasn't really benefited all that well from that relationship. And it also looks like Dirk Cutter is just not a very good coach. So that, you know, I kind of look at that as a, as a case study here. Maybe, you know, elevating a guy because you are so protective of that relationship that he has with your your stud rookie quarterback. Maybe that's not the right move here. And I and it's not to say, but but you know, at the same time, you look at a guy like Sean McVay, who I think probably gets way more credit than he deserves for that that great Rams team. But at the same time, he's done very well. I can't, I, I'm not going to take away his uh, what what he's accomplished in the NFL. I just it's 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 like this. I think that people uh, assume that Jared Goff is basically worthless except for Sean McVay, and I I, I don't buy into that at all. Uh, but okay, forget McVay. How about Peterson? Doug Peterson was a a backup quarterback in the league and was a an offensive assistant that didn't call plays when he was in Kansas City, but he comes over and he's the perfect head coach for the Eagles. And maybe Kitchens is, maybe he isn't, but my point is is that we really have to get this coaching thing right. Because if we don't, I don't want to be looking at, you know, 10, 15 years down the road and kind of like where the Chargers are this year where you, you realize that guys that have been around from the very beginning, I mean, I'm sure there are, are Chargers fans that the, the drafting of Phillip Rivers was yesterday to them, and yet now the twilight of his career is, is approaching ever faster. It does look like he'll probably outlast both Eli and Roethlisberger, the two guys that he came in with, but they've never really gotten close. They went to the AFC Championship game one time, and that was the year that they took on the undefeated uh, Patriots. 
and actually played pretty well. And that was also a year uh, they played the undefeated Patriots, and Philip Rivers was on a freaking torn ACL, and they're playing the game because uh, the guy. I think that's what it was. I just remember he had a r- real rough injury, and he's out there. He's out there slinging it away because dude is tough, and they wanted to get to a Super Bowl, and that's as close as they ever got. This is the point. I really don't want to be 10, 15 years from now looking back at it and saying, man. You know, we had this great quarterback for all these years. He rewrote rewrote the record books, but we never got further than the divisional round, or we never got further than, you know, the AFC championship game. You know, kind of like Bernie. You know, during those days, I'm sure that we all thought that, uh, you know, I wasn't around as a Browns fan back in those days, but I'm sure the people were like, man, we're going to get back there every year. And three years? I mean, getting there three times in, what, a five-year span? That's pretty good. That's more opportunities. That's more swings of the bat than a lot of teams ever get. And we, you know... We we got him and we didn't really do a whole lot with him and then what happens twenty you know thirty years of not just me uh, of mediocrity being the highlight you know now we are on an ascension and I want a championship out of this and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna expound upon this point here in a moment um, I'm gonna step away but then I'm gonna come back and we're gonna talk about what the approach might be and I, I may have had a, a a change of heart on this over the last couple of days really thinking about the way that we and I use this word very intentionally prosecute the free agency period coming up and the draft coming up and as it relates to everything that we've been discussing here my name is easy weave this is easy does it on dogs by nature and I'll holler at you in just a moment I'll now hear the angels sing a king was born I made a big deal about how I don't want us to swing for the fences in free agency and really try to just land some big star name or whatever. And the reason for that is, it's pretty sound, in my mind anyway, is in two years we're going to have to pay Miles Garrett a bajillion dollars, and the year after that we're going to have to pay Baker Mayfield double that. And that's good. two guys are going to eat up a gargantuan amount of our cap space. But then look at the other young players that we have on this roster with David Njoku and Denzel Ward and Nick Chubb and Larry Ogunjobi and Joe Schobert and whoever, whoever else that you like that I didn't mention there, whichever the wide receiver that we picked up this, that we pick up in this off season, uh, whoever it is that you love on this team, that's young and good, that is going to require getting paid. Guess what? That 85 million that I just referenced a little bit ago in cap space, it's going to go up quick. So at that point, you would think, or at least the point that I was making, because the other aspect of this is that we don't really have anybody's contracts coming up at the end of this year, other than I mentioned Greg Robinson, and we're going to have to re-sign him, and he really should be the top priority at this point. But that's a guy that 
you know, and, and usually a team has like six or seven guys that they're looking at. We really don't. We really don't have a whole lot of guys that we're looking at, especially the key contributors. They're, all of them are signed multi-year deals after this. So we're very advantageously positioned, thank you, Sashi, for where we are with the cap and with the roster and everything else. So as I look at now the performance of, you know, Baker Mayfield, Miles Garrett, and this team as a whole, the idea being that, you know, you go out there and you find complementary pieces. Like the one guy that I really like my, my free agency crush right now is Tyrell Williams, the wide receiver from the Chargers. I'd like us to go out and get that guy. I think that he'd be a good complementary piece, but he's not a guy that's going to break the bank. He's a guy that's going to be, again, a, a complementary piece to add to this wide receiver core. And then you add a guy in the second or third round of the draft. And I think that we have done uh, uh, our due diligence in terms of upgrading the wide receiver position and you add guys that are like that through free agency and honestly free agency is probably the venue to do that because you have you know the difference between adding free agents and adding draft picks is that both of them involve evaluation but it's different to evaluate a guy that's been in the league for a couple of years versus a guy that you've never seen going up against um, you know NFL caliber talent what that and, and also you don't know who is going to be available to fill your positions of quote unquote need what this is why I'm not a proponent of drafting for need uh, quote unquote because when you do that it pigeonholes you into making bad decisions uh, potentially you, you could also make good decisions on accident by going this route but I, I think that if you were to look at your roster and say okay we need to get this player like for example it, our, our roster I would say right now the biggest positions of again using my air quotes here need because I don't really see a whole lot of giant needs on the roster it may be that the biggest need on the roster is you know depth in this in the at the safety position but if you were looking at players that you would like for us to add to add quality depth and and just quality overall to the starting uh, ranks of the team then okay i'd look probably at corner cornerback wide receiver defensive tackle maybe offensive tackle but again when you look at what the, what hubbard and, and robinson have done over the last month or so that, that that's a tough t- that's a tough sell outside of that you know, okay, but let's say for let's say for the sake of this discussion that we needed that we had genuine needs at all of those positions. Well, then the place to address those needs are in free agency. And I'm not saying that you're going to go out and get a superstar in free agency. That's kind of the point. If a guy is a superstar, you're probably not going to get him unless there's some sort of extenuating circumstances, which you may or may not want to deal with on your team. In our case, I think we've got a lot of young talent at every position group, but I think that you could add some complementary pieces here or there to add strength to the position groups, even if you are not adding stardom to those position groups. The draft is where, at whatever position you are drafting in, when it gets to your spot to pick, you need to be looking at the best player that is available to you. Now, breaking that down, that doesn't mean that you bring up your, you know, your your draft board and you just look at, you know, you, you just rank every player individually from 1 to 250, and regardless of the position, that's the guy that you take. I'm not saying that. You know, if you've got all-stars all around the offensive line, and the best player that's at, you know, that, that's ready to draft is an offensive lineman, guess what? The guy doesn't fit. But the best player doesn't necessarily mean the guy that is the most talented it could just be that the best player 
is a guy that you really, really like. And it may be that it's a guy that you really, really like and you put a higher value on him because he happens to play at a position of need. This is the point. You draft players, you don't draft positions. All right? You don't go in there and say, well, we're going to draft a wide receiver with the 22nd overall pick. That's what we're going to do. You don't know who's going to be available at the number 22 overall pick. And the guy that and it may be that the guy that is available at number 22, sure, maybe it works out, you know, from his Madden ranking that he's he's the best player available, quote unquote. But if that's not a guy that you like, you just don't draft for position. When you draft for, for position, that's how you end up with a guy like Justin Gilbert. You know, that, that's how you went because we needed a corner. We needed a lockdown cornerback. So we we got the best guy that was available at that position. The guy ended up being a turd. Why? Because we didn't put an emphasis on the individual player. And I think that's what the draft is important for. All of that to say that as we go into this free agency period, as we look at the way that we, ex- we intend on uh, going at the roster construction and renovation and adaptation moving forward... I might actually be talked into the notion of, guess what, Easy? It's really, really hard to win a Super Bowl. So maybe the move here, while Baker and Miles are both on rookie contracts, is let's go out there and try, let's just absolutely swing as hard as we possibly can. Let's go out there and sign Indomitian Sue to some ridiculous contract. You could, all right, imagine Indomitian Sue playing on that same line with Larry and Miles. I'm just saying... You know, as I mentioned that, you like that, don't you? <laughs> you you like the sound of that. Uh, how about Demarcus Lawrence? I don't think he's going to be available, but I'm saying if he was, how about him rushing off the other side? Or anybody. I'm saying pick somebody that's that could potentially be out there in free agency. Maybe it is worth. May or maybe there's a guy on a trade block for some reason that normally wouldn't be. But is maybe it's worth ponying up a first rounder this year and next year or something like that to go get that guy because maybe our window not maybe our window opens next year. How long and how wide that window remains open is you know very much remains to be seen. You know Ben Roethlisberger won the Super Bowl won the, the first Super Bowl that the Steelers won with him. He did it in his second year in the league. I'm sure the Steelers thought, man, we're going to keep going back forever after this, and they got exactly uh, one more title and one additional appearance from that, and that's it. That's all they've gotten. That's probably all they're ever going to get out of uh, out of their guy. So if next year, uh, look at when the, the Baltimore Ravens won in 2000. You know, the examples of this are teams that I absolutely hate. Nobody on that team thought that was their year, at least going into it. They, they, they were looking at the next year. They thought that was the year that they were going to be good enough to put it all together. But you know what? When when they were good enough, they went and they won it all. And it may be that next year is our year to be good enough. And if that's the case, well then, maybe it is worth going out there and getting a Sue or getting a uh, whoever, whoever it is that you like out there. Some big-name guy that we overpay for the purpose of coming in and maybe only marginally improving a position because maybe only marginally, you know, here's the thing about big-time NFL football at the championship level. It's won and lost in the margins. And that's why this head coaching thing is so important. And that's why this game coming up on Sunday is so important. Because or I'm, I'm, Saturday night is so important because if Greg Williams goes out there and beats the Broncos, and establishes his prowess as at that point we would be what four and two with an opportunity to go six and two with the other two teams that we are that are left in our schedule being teams that we've already beaten this year if Greg Williams goes six and two on the season well then you know what I'm gonna change my tune a little bit about his ability and I'm gonna be kind of in the boat of you know what we got to kind of see what this guy can do with a full offseason as the coach going into 
But I, again, I got trepidation with that because you, you have to look at what he did uh, in his previous tenure as head coach. And, you know, maybe there's something going on this year that's that's above him that's causing this to happen. I just what I don't want to have happen is us get roped into a situation where we, we choose false. We, we, we pick fool's gold and we don't end up taking advantage of this mammoth talent. You know, if, if you've been around this team for any length of time, understanding the talent that we currently have right now at the quarterback and the edge position, guys, we're never going to be better situated than we are right now. We are never going to have a one-two punch of talent like Baker Mayfield and Miles Garrett ever again in our lifetimes. It's never going to be better than it is right now. So maybe next year is, is the time for us to really load up. I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know. I, I, I tend to be of the mind that, look, we're going to be paying Baker and Miles a lot of money, so let's take this $85 million as much as we possibly can, try to roll it over and keep rolling it over and keep rolling it over, so that, <coughs> so that way these guys, these homegrown guys that we bring in, in a couple of years' time we can re-sign Ogunjobi, we can re-sign uh, Randall, we can re-sign you know, all of these guys. But what if in the process of doing that, we end up not making those marginal improvements because we're trying to be frugal and we're trying to take it to the vest. And what if we end up spending Baker's entire career chasing that dragon? You know what I'm saying? I I think that there's a good argument. And I I gotta be honest, this is not something that was my original, you know, worldview on all of this. My view was kind of continuing the Sashi model, which is very slow, very deliberate, but very effective over a long period of time where you have this basic conveyor belt of multiple first round draft picks that you are churning out year in, year out. Well, we're not doing that anymore. So maybe since we're not doing that anymore, you know, right now our draft pick next year is probably gonna be in the eighteen twenty range. We figure the year after that, it's probably going to be even more. So if that's what's going on, the draft isn't, you know, I mean, the the whole draft season doesn't have nearly the same emphasis that it has for us in the year. You know, you look at 2016, 2017, 2018, you know, we're we're looking at everything. We're we're evaluating every player because we literally could acquire, you know, any player that's there. Well, we're entering a period now where that's not really going to be available to us. Unless we, you know, package picks together and try to trade up and do that sort of thing. But I don't really see John Dorsey, affectionately referred to here as Meathead from time to time, being that sort of wheeler-dealer guy. In fact, I kind of see Dorsey being the type of guy that does exactly what I'm describing and says, you know what? Next year is the year we can legitimately go out there and beat Kansas City and beat New England and beat Pittsburgh and beat Houston and beat whoever else is out there in our way and represent the AFC in the Super Bowl and then bring it on whoever is in the NFC. That could actually happen next year if, (laughs) you know, if, you know, the right things fall into place. And the big thing, the big thing, the biggest thing is the coach. Uh, and so I'm I'm very, you know, kind of cautiously optimistic about the way we head into this into the future. Uh, and I see this game on Sunday as a big deal. And I'll even go so far as to say that if if our Browns go out there and just lay the hammer to them, you know, if they go out there and just beat the Broncos like they beat the Bengals a couple of weeks back, and it ends up being like, you know, 45 to 13 or, you know, some, some you know, really lopsided effort. And I'm not predicting this, by the way, and I'm not even suggesting that it's, you know, very much in the realm of the possible. But if that were to happen, I'm probably ready to promote Greg right now, right then and there. I'm, I'm probably ready to do it. 
because it will really show me something after having done that now a couple of times and seeing this drastic uh, team turnaround. Yeah, I don't want to be uh, hit by fool's gold just by seeing an improvement over the worst coach of all time. But at the but at the same point, if the guy is actually showing real, you know, dramatic, you know, decent NFL play, then I don't think that you can just throw that away. And also, you know, if you keep him next year and it doesn't work out, well, okay, it's not that big a deal to replace him the following year. Whereas if you pick a new guy next year, you're kind of stuck with him for a couple of years. Unless, as I say, that guy is Bruce Arians, but that's kind of my point. Bruce Arians, I think, is a good quality coach. I also think that he's got enough humber, uh, hunger and drive and gas in the tank and also the want to to come to Cleveland and do this, I think it may be the perfect situation. And if that were to happen, if if Bruce Arians were to come in here, take over this team, maybe keep Greg Williams on as the head coach, and maybe keep Freddie uh, Kitchens on as the offensive coordinator, at that point, I think it may be Katie bar the door for uh, John Dorsey going out there and says, okay, I got $85 million and I am going to do everything I can to strengthen this roster every single place I possibly can to the highest degree. Kind of like what Phil Savage did going into 2008. Um, and I'm not even saying that that was the wrong thing to do. He just, you know, we just unfortunately ran into a buzzsaw of unfortunate circumstances. But, you know, we also didn't have Baker Mayfield, and we also didn't have Miles Garrett. That's why we were trading first-round draft picks for guys like Corey Williams. I don't think that we need to do that, but if we were to maybe trade our first-round pick next year for a guy that could be an improvement, particularly like like let's say that we were to trade our first-round pick next year for a really solid lockdown cornerback to go along with Denzel Ward, would you be about that? Even though the guy is probably going to be like 26, 27 years old and have a large contract, would you be for doing that? What I'm saying is that this would be the year, possibly, potentially, where we would start doing those sorts of things. And maybe, just maybe, there's a way of doing this, and and maybe Paul DePodesta is the guy that spearheads it, where we're able to do this while Miles and Baker are both on rookie contracts, and then by the time it comes to pay them, all right, these guys that we loaded up on the last couple years, their contracts just kind of end anyway, and that stuff comes back on the books. I don't think that there's a way that you can... um, you know, I don't. I don't think that there's a way that you can have your cake and eat it too. I don't think that that we have guns and butter simultaneously here, <laughs> simultaneously here, so to speak. I think that it's it really is an, an all or nothing proposition. Where if we don't hit it, like if we go all the way with it and and really swing for the fences to try to win a championship over the next couple of years, that if we if we don't make it in that time period, well, then we're probably going to have to uh, reload, and then we may be in a spot like where the Patriot or where the uh, Chargers have been at. Um, but we'll see. Uh, th- the point is, is that it's so much more fun to be looking at all of this from this perspective, and to be you know watching all of this from the standpoint of a team that is actually really good, potentially really good, and going to get uh, even better. And it has to do with our generational franchise quarterback, number six in the program, number one in your hearts, one Baker Mayfield. And you know, I got to tell you, I, I've in the last couple of days, you know, I work with a lot of different people uh, all over. I mean, I, I, when I say I have relationships with people literally all over the world uh, via the, 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 the job that I have. And I have this last couple of weeks, or I should say these last couple of days, I have commiserated with folks that 
I, you know, I talk to generally, but I have forgotten that they were also Browns fans because it's never really brought up, you know, over the last couple of years. It certainly hasn't been. And I've gotten a little bit of when I talk to them, they'd be like, all right, yeah, cool, man. I'll talk to you later on. Yeah, go Browns. There's an excitement out there. It's fun. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. It's enjoy it. Revel in it. In this time, in this season of revelry, revel in the Browns' success because, hey, we're on the cusp of a winning season, y'all, and that is fun. And then we're on the cusp of a very, very important offseason going into maybe the most fun uh, season that any of us can remember, maybe ever. Time will tell. But I am Easy Weave. This is Easy Does It on Dogs by Nature. It is, as always, a pleasure to talk to you. I always appreciate your feedback in the comments section for the corresponding article that applies to this broadcast. And I also implore you and invite you to uh, become friends with me on the Facebook and also to follow me on the Twitter. And as I said earlier, look up my homeboys that are doing the radio shows on the the, the podcast on the Dogs by Nature platform and you know let them know you're out there. They they do this because they 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 are Browns fans talking to Browns fans and we we appreciate it when we uh, hear the feedback from y'all and I especially appreciate it whenever I hear uh, people tearing me apart for the, 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 the bad job that I'm doing. I, I, I love it. Really, It really sticks with me. Um, appreciate you being out there. I hope that you have a wonderful... Uh, well, I mean, it's a short period of time until I'm going to be talking to you again. I'll be with you again on Saturday night as we talk about the, uh, the Browns-Broncos recap. Hopefully, that will be a fun one to recap. Until then, uh, it's my pleasure to be with you. My name's Easy Weave. Easy does it on Dogs by Nature. Until then, good luck. God bless. So Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.